Like, how did we get to where Christmas is represented best, or at least partially best, by lights in knots that eventually end up as lights on houses? Well, it's because Christmas and light go together. And that's where we get John chapter 1 today. John chapter 1 is John's version of the Christmas story. Now, he's not going to mention Mary. He's not going to mention Joseph. He's not going to mention the shepherds. He's not going to mention the magi. He's not going to mention the star. He's not going to mention any of the traditional elements uh, that we associate with the Christmas story. But John chapter 1 is the gospel of John, uh, the writer John. It's his version of the Christmas story. So there are four gospels. Three of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic gospels. Say that with me. Synoptic gospels. Don't you feel very theological now? And the reason they're called the synoptic gospels is because they give a synopsis of Jesus' life. They give an orderly account of his life. And so they start in the beginning. Matthew and Luke start with the very beginning, even before Jesus is born, with Mary and Joseph and uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist being born. Uh, and then they give an orderly account of his life. Mark skips the birth story, but jumps right in at the very beginning of Jesus' uh, ministry and then takes it all the way to the end. But John is writing the Gospel of John with a different purpose. He's not just wanting to give you a synopsis of Jesus' life. He's writing to you and writing to his first listeners for a very specific reason. He is writing so that they will believe in Jesus and have eternal life. He's very clear about that. His purpose in writing this letter, the Gospel of John, is so that his listeners, his readers, will believe in Jesus. So he doesn't start with the birth story. He does tell us about Jesus' birth. He does tell us about Jesus coming into the world, but he does it in a different way. Look what it says in John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So you notice three phrases in here that may not remind us of something, but it definitely reminded John's very first listeners and readers in the first century when he wrote this letter. He says, in the beginning, and then he says about creation, the Word, and then he talks about light. And so his very first listeners, they would have read his very first opening lines, and they would have remembered the opening lines of the Old Testament. So I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1 with me. Keep your finger in John chapter 1. We're going to be back there in just a few minutes. But Genesis chapter 1, John starts with those phrases, in the beginning, and then he talks about the Word of God, referencing Jesus as the Word. Then he talks about the light, because of what we read in Genesis chapter 1. This is how the Bible starts. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. So there's three phrases in John chapter 1. What does it say? In the beginning. In John chapter 1. What does it say in Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning. And then it references Jesus in John chapter 1 as the Word. And what does it say in verse 3? And God said, God spoke. And then what did God create? Let there be light. So John is not just sitting down with a piece of parchment thinking, I I want to tell people about Jesus. I want them to believe in him. How how should I start my letter? No, he's very intentional about 
uh, about how he starts his letter. And what he's saying to us is there was a beginning and now there is a new beginning. There was a beginning in the Old Testament when God created everything. And there is a beginning here as Jesus is born into this world. Back to John chapter 1. Look what it says about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. Now that phrase is uh, logos, is the Greek word. Say that with me, logos. Now some Bible scholars, they wish that the English versions of the Bible did not translate the Greek word logos into English. So they would actually prefer it for, have just to read, in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God. Because they would say to us, people who only speak English and not, you know, original biblical language Greek, they would say that the word word does not do justice to the word logos. You know, we have kind of a very limited imagination when we use the English word, word. And so we're missing out on some of the fuller meaning of what John is communicating when he uses the Greek word logos. Because logos is like a word in action. It's a commanding word. It's a powerful word. And this is how John is describing Jesus. As the logos. As an active word. Just in the same way that God spoke an active word to create everything. Jesus is now that creation agent. And in the beginning was the Word. So Jesus was before Bethlehem. He was before the Christmas story. He was in the beginning. And the Word was with God. That phrase means not only was Jesus with God in the beginning, but there was a close relationship there. There was an intimacy in that relationship. He was with God. And then it says, He was God. So this raises the stakes for us on the Christmas story. As we talk about Jesus in the manger and you see the shepherds and you see the Christmas lights on the houses and it's reminding us of all these things. We're celebrating Jesus today. This is is a serious thing that we are celebrating because it's saying that God was born into the world. Not just a good teacher, not just an important person, not even just an influential religious leader, but God himself was born and put on flesh. It says in verse 3, And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So John is giving credit to Jesus as being the creator of all things. In the beginning, he's saying nothing that was made. The trees weren't made without Jesus. The animals, they weren't made without Jesus. People were not made without Jesus. And now he is saying again, now Jesus has come. He created the first time, and now he's going to create a second time. That's what we see later on in John chapter 3. John says, uh, records Jesus' saying as, you know, you were born once from your mother. You were born once in the womb. Jesus did that. He's the one who creates children, according to John chapter 1. And then you must be born again. There was, you were first created, and then you were recreated, a new creation. And this is what he's saying, and I think this is good news for us at Christmas. Because some of us are just kind of going through the the motions spiritually this Christmas season. You know, one of my favorite things about the holidays is food. Amen? Amen. One of my favorite things about life in general is food. And in my house growing up, we would go to my grandparents for that celebration of food. My grandma was a fantastic cook. She was not a sophisticated cook. I mean, she was not fancy. It was not a gourmet meal. It was a comforting meal. You know what I'm saying? And so we played the hits. That's why I love my grandma. She just played the hits. We had the same thing over and over again, and it was great. 
And my favorite thing that my grandma uh, made for me, she made it when, when, when I was probably just maybe second or third grade, uh, was what we call mashed potatoes with cheese. All right? So let me just explain these to you. If you're a vegan, you're going to hate this. And so um, bless you, um, all our vegan brothers and sisters out there. But there's mashed potatoes, delicious. My grandma would take the mashed potatoes, then she would put sour cream in them. Delicious. Then she would put cream cheese in it. Delicious and healthy. Right? <laughs> then, then lay it out in a pan. Sprinkle it with cheddar cheese. A lot of cheddar cheese. So much cheddar cheese that you couldn't even see the mashed potatoes beneath the covering of cheese. And then put it into the oven, let it bake, and then bring it out and set it on the table. And it's fantastic. It, it, it was my favorite meal as a child and my grandma's passed on now and so my mom has taken up the mantle so we'll go home to Missouri after Christmas and one of the meals that we will eat will have mashed potatoes with cheese and if if it's not there I'm going home you know I'm driving <laughs> all the way back to Texas um, and uh, and so I uh, loved mashed potatoes with with cheese well eventually our family got bigger and bigger and bigger you know like I was the first grandchild and so I got bigger and I got married and Amanda came into the family all my cousins started getting married and so family dinners uh, you know when the family gets bigger it gets harder it gets a little bit more expensive and so my grandma was retired and so instead of just trying to whip everything on the day of so she had all this time in her hands she would make it a week or two weeks or three weeks before and stick it in the freezer which is fantastic for soups and casseroles but not not quite as much for my mashed potatoes with cheese. You know what I'm saying? And so sometimes there, you know, as I got into adulthood, uh, my mashed potatoes with cheese felt more like leftovers than something fresh. I mean, they were fresh. Nobody had eaten them. But they just didn't, just didn't have that freshness. I think that's what a lot of us are doing this Christmas. We're just living on leftover faith. We're going through all the motions. Mmm, this is delicious. This is great. This is the best one I've ever had. Yeah, Jesus, Christmas, reason for the season. Mm. Let's go to church. You know, break out the Advent candle. I guess we should read the Christmas story. We're going through all the motions, but the, the reality for most of us is it's just like eating leftovers. It's a shadow of what we once felt. There was a, a moment in your life where it didn't feel like the remnant of something great. It was fresh and it was powerful and you were eager. And, you know, your, your kids didn't have to come to you on Christmas Eve and say, will you read the, 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 the Christmas story for us? You are the one who wanted to do that. It, it wasn't the, the church putting pressure on you to give. It was your freshness of faith. And the overflow of that, that made you generous in the Christmas season. But I, I feel like, and maybe I'm just speaking for me, that many of us are just living on the leftovers of faith that we used to have. And we're pretending with everybody else that it tastes good. And the reality is it doesn't. But the good news is, is that Jesus was the one who created that fresh faith in you the first time. And he's not just the creator, he is the recreator. And he can recreate freshness in you this holiday season. There's still time for you to roll into Christmas with genuine, fresh, powerful faith. Because he created the old work in you. And listen, he will create the new work in you. And then look what it says in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, light is a, is a key phrase in John chapter 1, and it is also a key word in the whole gospel of John. Uh, it's just one of his favorite words, and it's, it's one of his favorite words to describe John's, uh, Jesus' ministry. And look, I mean, how many times he uses it here. It says, you know, in verse 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. Then verse 6, And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, and that all might believe through him. And he was not the light, so John the Baptist was not the Messiah. He was not the Savior, but he came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So it says that Jesus here is the true and unstoppable light. Verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, that's the purpose of light. Light is meant to break up the darkness. Light is the most influential when it encounters darkness. I mean, so as an illustration today, you know, our lights back here are not working, and so maybe you've been seeing them come on and come off. This is only our second Sunday, so please grace and mercy, you know, for our lights. Uh, you know, and, and so they came on and they came off, but, and you noticed it, but it was not a huge jarring thing. In fact, for most of you, you didn't even make a face. You know, sometimes things happen up here and I can totally tell, like you're bothered by it. But, you know, most of you are not making a face as those lights come on and off. But if it was pitch dark in here and those lights came on, we would notice it. And then if it went off, we would notice it. Why? Because light is its most influential when it's encountering darkness. Light, among a bunch of other light, is not that impressive. You know, Christmas is a reflective time. Because it's a marker for us, so we remember last year, we remember the year before that, we remember traditions, we remember all the way back into our childhood. And so for most of us, we're more reflective in this holiday season than we are any time of the year. What our life is like, how things are going, the state of our family. And listen, as you're reflecting, if you're anything like me, you may not like what is looking back at you in that reflection. You may look into your soul and find an incredible amount of darkness that wasn't there last year. You may look down into your family and, you know, there are a lot of things to be praying for. There's some darkness in your family. Maybe you look down your street and it's like, man, I had, I had hopes of, of being an influence in these people's lives, but, and this marriage is falling apart and this is happening and these kids. And as you reflect, you may see a lot of darkness, but listen, don't be condemned by that and don't be discouraged by that. God knows that there is darkness on this planet. That is why Jesus came. He came to be the light in the midst of the darkness. And so if you look into your own soul and own life, and you are scared by the darkness that you see in there, in your soul, and in your mind, don't be condemned, because that's the very purpose for Jesus coming, to be light in the midst of that darkness. If you look out on your street and you think, man, I'm the only one coming to church. I'm the only one being faithful. I'm the only one who knows the Gospels. Don't be discouraged about that. That is why Jesus came to this earth to be the light of the world. And he knows that he is the most influential among the darkness. It's his very purpose for coming. The light shines in the darkness. And what does it say? And the darkness has not overcome it. Listen, light and darkness are opposites, but they are not equals. There's the light of the world, and there's the darkness of the world. 
And they're opposites, but they are not co-equals. The light and the darkness do not carry the same authority. What happens when you walk into your home at night and you flick the switch? The light always wins. Always. Jesus is light. There is a darkness. But they're not equals. They don't carry the same level of authority. And and here's the good news. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that he is the light of the world. And then he also says in Matthew chapter 5 that you are the light of the world. And he's carried on and given to you that authority that comes with being the light. You may look around and there may be some darkness in you that you are not comfortable with. If you are in Christ, you carry the light of Christ and the light has authority over the darkness. I mean, it looks like as we look around this world, it looks like the darkness has a lot of resources, doesn't it? But it doesn't carry the same power and it doesn't carry the same authority as the light. You always have the upper hand on the darkness. Because Christ is in you. And he's the light of the world. I mean, look what it says in verse 9. It says that he is the true light. I thought that was an interesting phrase. The true light, verse 9, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So I started thinking about, why does John describe Jesus as the true light? Are there false lights in the world? Because it seemed to me I'm not a sophisticated person. I grew up in Missouri, so not super smart either. You know, like there's either light or there's darkness. You know, there's... There's not false light. I can't think of false light, like light that comes on, but, but it's not really light. That doesn't make any sense. So I started thinking, what, what is he speaking to when he describes Jesus as the true light? What are and what is a false light? Well, I think false light, if I could describe it in my own words, I think false light is just darkness that feels familiar. Like this summer, my son Jackson, who's seven, we went to a cave and uh, we were on a tour through a cave, like a guided walking tour, not spelunking. Spelunking would be way cooler, plus you get to say the word spelunking and wear a light, you know, on your head. <laughs> but we went on a guided tour through a cave, and it was really fun, and, you know, about a, it was like a two-hour thing, and, and about an hour into it, we're like at the halfway point and at the very bottom of the tour. I don't know if it was the bottom of the cave, but it was way, way, way down in there. You know, we'd been walking down a long ways, and and so we get to a place, it's a walking tour, but we get to this one place and there are little benches that they've made. And so the tour guide, she says, you know, hey, everybody have a seat here. And uh, so we sit down and she says, everybody ready? And I'm like, oh, you know, I guess we're getting ready to get back up. And she, she turns the light out in the cave. Now, you've not been in darkness until you've been in a cave without any light. Because when most of us think of darkness, it's like darkness with just, there's a little bit of light. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's dark in your house at night, but there's a street light on or there's a night light somewhere. You leave the bathroom light on because you're 35 and you're technically still scared of the dark, but you're not allowed to say that. You know, it's, it's for the kids, you know, but every, your, your wife knows it's for you, you know. And uh, so most of us are only used to darkness that is darkness, but with a little bit of light. But in, when she turned out the light in the cave, like it was dark. She said, put your hand in front of your face, like right here. And it was pitch black. You can't see anything. And she said, just stare at your hand. For just a second. She said, you can't see it, but just stare at it. And then after a, a, a couple of seconds, like, I started to see the outline of my hand. And she says, she can kind of tell everybody's voice what's happening. She says, you can see the outline of your hand, but you're not actually seeing the outline of your hand. It's your mind knowing that your hand is there and projecting it in your imagination. Wow. Your eyes don't work without any light. 
So it was just dark. It was dark. And so I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's a, that's a pretty cool party trick. And then I started thinking, <laughs> I started thinking, what if the lights don't come back on? I mean, this was an old cave, and it looked like its heyday was about 40 years ago. And uh, not that 40s old, but the, elect- the electricity looked a little suspect as it was running through there. And so I started kind of, what if, uh, what, what if these lights don't come back on? I'm thinking I got my seven-year-old son, and if we don't make it out of the cave, specifically if he doesn't make it out of the cave, mama ain't going to be happy, you know, when they drag us out of here. And, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm kind of having a little moment there, you know. And so I'm trying to get some confidence. It's a very small tour, and, and so I say to the tour guide, I said, uh, if the lights didn't come back on, would, would you be able to find your way out of here? And she said, yeah, she said, yeah, I think so. I thought about that. I've been in here enough times. I'm pretty sure that I could find my, my way out. And, and so then I started feeling good, and then I kind of started enjoying it. So it was amazing, just within a couple of minutes, a couple of minute sequence, I, I started to feel familiar with it. I knew where my seat was. I knew where my son was. I knew where the stairs were uh, that would lead us out of this room that we were in. It, it's amazing how used you can get to the darkness. And false light is just darkness that used to feel darker than it does right now. I mean, there's some habits that some of us have picked up that we... If you would have told us 10 years ago in our faith that we were doing these things, we would have been ashamed of ourselves. There are things that are coming out of my mouth that if you would have told the 21-year-old Curtis that I was saying those things, I would be humiliated for me. But we just got so used to the darkness that it didn't feel that dark anymore, and that is false light. Darkness that doesn't feel dark. And the Gospels give us some examples of false light. And some of these groups of people that Jesus interacts with, like for the Pharisees, these very religious people, their false light was religion. They thought if they followed the law and then they added a bunch of other laws on top of the law, that God would approve them and favor them because of their attention to detail in being obedient to him. That's false light. There were these group, this group called the Zealots. Jesus actually had one of the, a former Zealot as among his disciples. They were tired of the Roman Empire being in charge. And so they believed that if they could just get up enough military force and strength and start a revolution, then that God's kingdom would come after that a military revolution. They wanted power. They thought if they had power, then they would have God's favor. That's false light. You have the Sanhedrin. These are the rulers in Jerusalem. These are the elite. These are political leaders. That's false light. Then you have a group of people in, in, the, in the gospels called sinners. That was the group. That was the name. Not just people who sinned, but they were just people who were like, I, I tried to do the religious thing. My mom and dad did that, and that's just not for me, so I'm going to do whatever I want, and I'm not going to feel bad about it. That's false light. Some of us have fallen into those very same traps. You are here today because you believe that if you are here today, God will love you more than if you weren't. Or maybe not love you more, but favor you more. That you more, have more potential for blessing and good things to happen to you, to get your prayers answered if you come. And so that's the only reason you do any of this. That's false light. Some of us are trying to accumulate that same power that the zealots wanted, but we're not doing it through military force. We're doing it through money. It's false light. Some of us want that political influence. Maybe not in 
nation or government, but you want the influence. You want to be the most important person in the room. And so you're working all the conversations at work. You're working all the conversations in your circle of friends so that you could accumulate that political power so that you can be loved and approved and accepted and looked to. That's false light. And some of us have just taken on the mantle of the sinners from the gospel. We're just going to do whatever we want. We tried the religious thing. We tried to do the church thing, and it just didn't work for us. And so we washed our hands of that. That's false light, but the scripture says that true light has come into the world in Jesus. You know, when you search the word light in the Bible, you see an interesting pattern emerge. I want to read you some of these scriptures. This is what the Bible, some of what the Bible says about light. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. 2 Samuel 23, 4. He, God, dawns on them like the morning light like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. Psalms 44, 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Psalm 27, 1 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 43, verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Psalm 89, 15. Blessed are the people who know the joyful shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. Psalm 98. You have set your, our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Psalm 104, verse 2. Covering yourself, God, with a light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Psalm 118, 27. The Lord is God and He has made His light to shine upon us. Psalm 119, verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light, O God. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, speaking of Jesus. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. John 9, 5. As long, this is Jesus speaking, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus says again, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If you went home and you searched out the word light in the scripture, what you would see is you would see that wherever God's presence is, light is. That's the message of Christmas. That's what it means in verse 14 when it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The light of the world has come into the world. Wherever God's presence is, that's where light is. And His presence came into the world in the flesh it's not that just that Jesus is the light of the world and the light of the world stayed in heaven and we know it exists somewhere out there in the universe now the light of the world the true light 
came into the world. And when you look at verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That English word dwelt literally means to tabernacle. Now, that's not a word that you and I use, which is why they didn't translate it like that in the scripture. You know, uh, where are you tabernacling this week? You know, it's just not in our voc- vocabulary. But John's first readers, they would have seen that phrase, which can be translated tabernacling, and they would have went to the Old Testament story. I want you to turn there really quickly, Exodus, and this is where we'll finish this morning. God's people, the Israelites, they are slaves in Egypt for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They cry out to God. God sends Moses to rescue them through many signs and wonders. And God delivers them up out of slavery in Egypt. And and he says this, he says, I'm going to do more than just deliver you. I'm going to do more than just save you. I want to live among you, which is Christmas. God doing more than just sending in a momentary rescue. He came, he moved in, moved into the neighborhood of planet Earth in Jesus. So God says, I'm going to dwell among you and and all the people of Israel, you know, they were kind of a nomadic people, hundreds of thousands of them. Some scholars think even maybe up to a million of them living in the desert and they would stay in these kind of semi-permanent tents. And so God says, I want you to build me a tent, a tabernacle. And so that's what Exodus 27 is all about. It's some of the prescription of what God's tabernacle, what God's tent was supposed to be like. And he was going to fill that tent with his presence, which was in a form of a cloud. So you could look at this tent and you could literally see the presence of God. And this is part of what was in the tent. Chapter 27 Verse 20, and you shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. So in God's tent, there's going to be this lamp that burns all the time. Verse 21, in the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend to it. This is the lamp from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. So what God is saying is I got priests who are going to minister in the temple. They're going to do the work of the temple. And I want them to make sure that the people have given enough olive oil to keep the wicks burning throughout the night. And those priests' job is to make sure that those candles, those lights in this lamp, in God's tent, never go out. Now, I want you to imagine this with me. Like You're a part of the people of God here. He's just rescued you or your parents out of slavery in Egypt. And now you're living in this wilderness and you're living among hundreds of thousands of, of your co-people. You're all, you all got tents, semi-permanent tents. And so at night, it gets dark, right? What, did, what does everybody do? They light a lamp in their tent so they can gather. And just the same reason we have lights in our house. Well, now it's time for bed. The kids go down first so mom and dad can have their, like, first moments of the day. Amen? And after mom and dad are ready to go to bed, maybe mom gets in bed first. Or maybe in your house, dad gets in bed first. And what happens in those tents? the last person to lay down, what do they do? They turn the light out. They put the lamp out. But in God's tent, in God's tent, the light always stays on. Why? Because there's nobody sleeping in God's tent. When everyone else is going to bed, God is still awake. It's what Psalm 121 says that about our God, that he neither slumbers nor sleeps. Now, here's how that's connected to Christmas. Jesus is the light of the world, the true light. 
in the midst of all our darkness. And the true light has come into the world. He's put on flesh. So not only is he the true light, he's not just the true light in heaven. He came to earth to be the true light. And even better news, the true light that is here on earth in the form of Jesus is always available to you. He never sleeps. He never rests. It would be good news if Jesus was light, but he was never around. It's great news that he is light and he is around. But what's even better news is he is light and he is around and he is always on guard for you. He is always available to you. See, in this Christmas season, you may be overwhelmed, just totally stressed out and maxed out. And you may be like, gosh, I don't want to bother God. I don't want to ask another thing. My requests are so so small in the scheme of life. And people are in Africa and they're suffering and they're starving and there's wars. And I got this thing at work going on. And what the scripture is telling us today is his light is always on for you. He's always available. You may be having problems with your, your children and it's not working out the way that it's supposed to. And you have the picture perfect plan and it's just not coming to fruition. And his light is always on for you. You may be stressed out financially, living beyond your means, but you're trying to keep up appearances with everybody else. His light is always on for you. You may be like, well, I actually left. I was the prodigal. I ran away. And I've only recently in the last few weeks considered coming back. Will he accept me back? His light is always on for you. That's the power of Christmas. But Jesus is amazing. But he's amazingly here. And he is amazingly available. Father, would you just breathe that into our souls? And God, I pray that every time we see a Christmas light fired up, we would remember that you are the light and you are here you are available to us. God, shine into our darkness. Shine into the darkness of our city. Shine into the darkness of our homes. Shine into the unknown shine the light around the corner for us today. You are the true light. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Our prayer ministry team is going to come and take their places up here in the front as they do every single week. Jesus said that God's house is a house of prayer. We take that seriously. You may be stressed out today. The light is on for you. You come and pray. You come and pray. You may be thinking, um, I just got some requests. I'm not desperate today. I've just got some requests that I care about. Come and pray. You may have somebody you care about that's heavy on your heart today. They don't know that you're here. They would never know that you pray for them. But the light is on for that person, and you may be the one to intercede for them. You come and pray. If you're sick, we want to pray for you. We believe that God can intervene. God, answer these prayers according to your great glory. And God, I pray for anybody today who's not convinced that you are the light of the world.
or maybe in the course of these weeks has become convinced, I pray they would receive the light today. I pray they would become a believer. I pray that you would give them faith, not old faith, but fresh faith today. In Jesus' name, amen.